Good morning, my friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to our online internet around the world church service. I'm so happy that you're here. And I believe that God's word is going to build you up real strong, real strong in the faith to do all that he's called you to do and to be the person that he has called you to be. Praise God. Let's take our Bibles today and go to Psalm 35. Let's take a look for a moment at verse 27, a very famous verse. And we're going to bring the tithes and offerings into the storehouse of the Lord. But first, let's build our faith for God's best for our finances by seeing what his word has to say concerning God's plan for us financially. Psalm 35, verse 27, let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause and let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, <clears throat> excuse me, magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Praise God. Now, when it says, let the Lord be magnified, that word magnify in the Hebrew means to elevate the character of God as being great, exalted, and glorious. And so our lives should magnify the Lord. How about this? I believe that the blessing upon, of the Lord upon our lives, the, even the blessing as it pertains to finances, should bring glory and honor to the Lord. So we want to magnify the Lord. And here it says that he has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Now servant would be what we would know as the language of the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, we're not just servants, although we do serve the Lord. But primarily we are now in a different position because we are in the family of God and we are viewed by God as being sons and daughters. So this is much more personal now. In other words, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his sons and daughters. And we're looking at that through the eyes of New Testament believers. Now, this is also very important. Let them say continually. And I think it's important to say this continually. And what, what are we going to say? We're going to say, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in our prosperity. Look, every time you go to the pump to fill up your car or your truck or whatever it might be, your van or whatever it might be, uh, even if it's an electric vehicle and you've got to charge it, you know, some of those charging stations aren't free. Uh, the early ones were, uh, you know, were in your grandfathered in, but if you buy a new electric vehicle, you're going to have to also be paying for the charge. So whether you're charging or filling up at the pump, don't say, Oh, I can't believe how much gas prices are. I can't believe how long it takes to charge this vehicle and how much money it costs. No, don't do that. Every time you're at the pump and you have to fill it all the way up, fill it all the way, all the way up in faith and don't grumble or complain, but say the Lord has pleasure in my prosperity. I magnify the Lord. He has pleasure in my prosperity. Woo, praise God. Look, every time you go to the grocery store and uh, you know, it's obvious that prices in groceries 
have, have gone up. And it doesn't take long to put a few things in the cart. You're at $100. And if you have need for more, you could hit $200, $300 just by throwing a few more things in there. And you're thinking, wow, food seems to cost a lot more than what it used to. My friends, when you are shopping for groceries and you're at the grocery store, while we are aware of that in the natural, don't proclaim that as being your confession. Don't talk about, oh, I can't believe how much, uh, you know, bananas cost. No, instead say, as you buy the bananas and as, as you put them in your cart, say, blessed be the Lord. Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in my prosperity. And then go put a few more things in that shopping cart. Praise God. Do you see what I'm saying? You're having a prosperity mentality, which is a biblical mentality, instead of a mentality of lack. Whenever you have to purchase clothes and uh, you're buying things that you need, maybe for work or maybe just for whatever, maybe you want a pair of jeans or a pair of shoes. My friends, when you go to make that purchase, don't say, oh, this is, this is really draining my wallet. Don't do that. Say, praise the Lord because the Lord has pleasure in my prosperity. Woo. Praise God. Purchasing should not be painful. Purchasing should be praiseful. Woo. Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. I want to say it again. Purchasing should not be painful. Purchasing, regardless of what it is, purchasing should be praiseful. Lord, I praise you. You have pleasure in my prosperity. And I'm so thankful to you, O oh God, that I can afford these things and purchase these things. Some of these things for myself, others as, as that I could give as a blessing. Mm -hmm. Praise God. Look at the beginning of this verse. Let them shout for joy and be glad. There's something about shouting when it's done in faith. It releases spiritual power. Praise the Lord. In other words, some people say, well, Pastor Stephen, I, I would never want to say something like that. So, uh, for example, in the grocery store, while I'm putting the food in the cart, uh, I would never want to say something like, praise the Lord, for he has pleasure in my prosperity. Pastor Stephen, somebody might hear me. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the devil would probably hear you, and that's the person that needs to. And it wouldn't hurt, actually, for some others to hear you make that confession as well. Praise God. Because the Lord and the angels and all of heaven and all of the invisible forces on the side of light and on the side of darkness, they need to know where you stand with your confession. Praise God. And there's something about saying it in faith. Praise the Lord. When you go up to that pump, not terrified and afraid, you know, of how much that's going to pull out of your, your debit card or something like that. No, just walk up to it, grab it. And as you fill up, fill up in faith and say, praise the Lord. I mean, get into it. Just like the scripture says, shout, let there be a shout and say, and do it continually. Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in my prosperity. I am a child of God. Mm -mm. Who praise the Lord. And you can just get into a kingdom mindset like that. Hallelujah. By the way, no parent is ever happy to see their children in a place of lack or insufficiency. No father, for example, would stand up in church and give a testimony saying, I just want everybody to know that I give God praise and glory that my two children don't have enough food to eat. 
boy, they would think you've lost your mind. And, and to do something like that would be an indicator that something is seriously wrong. The elevator is not going all the way to the top. But my friends, we, we, we don't make confessions like that, and we don't have an, an understanding like that. So, and so at the same time, why, why would any Christian think that their lack in the eyes of the Father God is somehow pleasing to him? Why, why would a Christian think that their inability to pay their bills or to meet their basic needs of life somehow makes God excited? Where God looks down from heaven and says, oh, I'm so proud of your lack. That really, that really made my day. Whoo, I'm excited about that. <laughs> no, <laughs> because he's your father and he loves you and he cares about you. Oh, praise the Lord. See, God takes pleasure in your prosperity. So with a thankful heart, we need to embrace God's plan of prosperity for our life. And we need to believe and we need to speak in harmony with what God believes and what he has declared in his word. And we do not need to let the devil or religious fuddy-duddy tradition lead us off into error and try to get us to where we confess and say and think things that are unbiblical. But my friends, we need to stick with the word of God. See, I'm teaching from the B-I-B-L-E. Mm-mm. The B-I-B-L-E, it's good enough for me. Praise the Lord. God has pleasure in your prosperity. Well, Pastor Stephen, that, that word, there's people out there that don't like that word. Yeah, that's why they're poor. That's why they're struggling. That's why they have to play games and they have to compromise their biblical values because they don't believe in following biblical principles. So they have to do things the world way. That's why they have to, as we say out in the world, you have to kiss up. You have to humiliate yourself. You have to, you have to grovel or beg or do stuff like that. That way the government gives you a little uh, block of free cheese. That way the government might give you a free cell phone. Oh, it'll never be an Apple or a Samsung. It'll be something that hardly has any reception. But if you, if you kiss up to them enough, they'll give you maybe some free peanut butter also. And so when you, when you don't know covenant, you're left to having to work it the way the world works it. And that's just a very deplorable way to have to live your life. Because trust me, the enemy loves to degrade. If anybody, Christians, believers, Wants to see them in a place where they're financially humiliated. But when you know the word, you can stand on the word and you know that you are, you are in covenant with almighty Jehovah God. And you don't have to play games. Hey, if, if you wash my hand, I'll wash yours. If you do me a deal back there in the black room, I'll do a deal for you later. Mm-hmm. No, you don't have to do stuff like that. You don't have to take bribes. You don't have to compromise your morals or your principles to go up. To go up with God, you obey his word. Mm-mm. Thank you, Jesus. God has pleasure in your prosperity. Now, let me share this because of the special season that we are in. Tomorrow is Monday, of course. Today, Sunday. Tomorrow, Monday evening, September the 20th, begins the fall feast, which around the world is known as the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles is a week-long festival last for seven days. And this tabernacles, it's a, it's a feast that commemorates. And when I say the word commemorate, what I mean by that is it keeps alive the remembrance of what God did for his children, the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and they would 
they would go about uh, whenever they would stop, they would set up their little dwelling structures, which were like these little booths or a Sukkoth that would be called in the, the Hebrew. So, or Sukkah. And so they were just these temp- very, very temporary structures. And, you know, the top of it could be covered with reeds or willow branches and things like that. But it was something that was very portable, very, very movable. And so during the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, many of the Jews still will put up a sukkah uh, outside of their house or maybe in their backyard. And the rabbis say, as long as you at least have one meal in it a day, you are keeping the feast. But there's a lot, a lot of Jewish people, even a lot of Christians that in their heart, of, in their way of connecting with the feast, they'll even spend the night in their sukkah and maybe have uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner there as well. Praise God. But I think it's fascinating because the Feast of Tabernacles is the last of the three great pilgrimage feasts when all of the Jewish males were required to appear before the Lord in the temple or the tabernacle there in Jerusalem. And we see that requirement in Exodus chapter 23, verse 17. So there's seven major feasts, but out of the seven, you only have three where the males were actually required to go to Jerusalem. And of course, the men so often would bring their, uh, their wives, their children. So it's a whole family event. It was a wonderful time. Praise God. Now, let's take a look at uh, Leviticus chapter 23, just for a moment. We're going to receive the tithes and offerings in just a minute. Leviticus 23, and we see verse 41. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generation. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. So sometimes the Feast of Tabernacles is called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of the Ingathering because it's during this time that the primary harvest crops would be brought into the harvest. Uh, It was a very wonderful time of the year for the Jewish people. And they would, of course, uh, as it says, dwell in booths for seven days. And verse 43, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, for I am the Lord your God. So by dwelling in those booths for seven days out of the year, it, it made the Jewish people understand that God, first of all, protected us, delivered us, and provided for us all during those 40 years Even in those little bitty structures that we lived in uh, while we were traveling about, God took really, really good care of us. But the Feast of Tabernacles, my friends, has uh, much deeper implications as well. Let's see this in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 14. I really like this one. Verse 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem. And of course, now the setting of this is after the antichrist system has collapsed and uh, you know, the antichrist uh, and uh, the beast, the false prophet, they've been gathered up and they've been thrown into uh, uh, their, their place of destruction. And you have, you have just, decimation and destruction all over the world. And you have the nations that came against Jerusalem. You had those that survived, 
but now they are still on the earth and we're seeing all of this wrapped up and pulled together as we're now going into the 1000 year reign of Christ, which theologians call the millennial reign, big fancy word that means a thousand years, uh, the 1000 year reign of Jesus on the earth. Again, it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts. And how about this? To keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So during the millennium, it's very important that you know this. During the 1,000 year reign, when Jesus rules and reigns over the whole world from Jerusalem, the primary feast during the reign of Christ will be not Passover and not Pentecost. It will actually be the Feast of Tabernacles. Woo! Glory to God. Let me say this also. Out of all of the feast, when you look at their prophetic symbolism and their meaning, the prophetic meaning of all of the feast has been fulfilled except for one, which is what? The Feast of Tabernacles. Because the Feast of Tabernacles, which is also called the Feast of the Ingathering, really speaks to the ingathering at the end of the age of all of the Gentile nations coming to Christ. Now, not all of the nations will turn to the Lord, but it's going to, it's going to seem like entire nations do turn to the Lord and there will be multitudes come to the Lord in the great end time harvest. And this is one of the main reasons why also this feast will be very, very special, even central during the rule and reign of Christ. Now, Verse 17, and it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts on them, there will be no rain. So Jesus will say, Hey, if you're not going to come celebrate this feast and you're not happy with that, I'm King over all the earth and I'm running the, I'm running this planet finally the way it's supposed to be run. If you don't come up, you're not going to get any rain over your country. Mm-mm. Verse 18, if the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the feast of tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the feast of tabernacles. Well, this is certainly a feast that we should be keeping because it's going to be kept <laughs> in the coming generations when the Lord is here. It's going to be kept for a thousand years nonstop. And everybody's going, well, I don't want to go. Uh, you're, you're going to go. You're not going to get any rain and a plague will be sent against you. Praise God. So we need to have an understanding of the various feasts, particularly the, the three primary feasts, and also what we're going into tomorrow night. At sundown tomorrow night, it starts for seven days, the Feast of Tabernacles. One more thing that we need to know, and then we're going to jump into today's message. But first, Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16. Three times a year, and that would be Passover, Pentecost and tabernacles three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord, your God in the place which he chooses. And of course that would be Jerusalem. That's where he chose at the feast of unleavened bread at the feast of weeks. Okay. Unleavened bread, Passover feast of weeks, Pentecost and at the feast of tabernacles and they shall not appear before the Lord empty handed. Well, Pastor Stephen, what shall I bring? God instructs us what to do in verse 17. Every man 
shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. You'll never give anything that God didn't first give you. <laughs> is that not an amazing thing? Even David, when David was pulling all of his resources together to contribute to the future building of the temple that his son Solomon was going to build, David made his own offering out of his own personal wealth. And he was a multi-billionaire. And uh, now I know that that may not sound true to some people, but if you look at what's listed there and you look at the wealth that David had, he was, he was a billionaire, at least most likely, most likely multi-billionaire. And Solomon was way off the charts. Could have even have been uh, a trillionaire. Now, it is important to understand that even David, when he prayed to the Lord, when he was making his offering, he said, he basically said, if I want to paraphrase this, he said, Lord, I'm giving you all of this as an offering for the temple. But he said, Lord, the reality is that you gave it all to me. So I'm, I can only give what you have already given to me. So my friends, all we have to do is just be a blessing according to what God has given to us. You can't give something that you don't have. So all you have to do is do what the Holy Spirit would have you to do. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. Let's do this today. Let's bring the tithe in into the storehouse. The tithe is holy. The tithe is separate. It already belongs to the Lord. That's 10% of all of our income. Scripture says it belongs to God. We bring it into the storehouse so that the gospel can be preached smoothly and efficiently all around the world. Praise God. But my friends, we also have special times where we can sow special seed. And I would like for you to do that sometime within these seven days. You may be able to do it today. You may say, Pastor Stephen, I've got it. I've, I've got something that I would like to do. I would like to sow my tabernacle seed. Well, go ahead and bring it right on in. Praise the Lord with your tithe and with your offering. Just bring it on in. We can call it the tabernacle seed. And that's what I want to identify it as. So bring in your, your tithes to the Lord. And also, let the Holy Spirit speak to you and show what you should do for your tabernacle seed. Ooh, glory to God. It's very, very exciting. Pastor Stephen, what should I do? Well, you should do as you are able to do according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which He has given you. Woo! Praise God. So just pray and ask the Lord what you should do and simply execute that. Obey. Praise God. Walk it out and do it. And I believe that before this year is out, I believe that you're going to see the breakthrough of some very beautiful things in your life. So just honor the Lord. These are three feasts that we are instructed that when we come before the Lord, do not come before the Lord empty handed. Well, Lord, I'm just here to say hello. Lord, I, Lord, I see you sitting on your throne there. Jesus, God, uh, God, God bless you. <laughs> Jesus said, did you bring anything? Oh, no, I just showed up here. I'm just so happy to see you. <laughs> but the Bible says when you come, don't come empty-handed. Praise God. So bring something, as we would say, in each hand. Let your hands be full. Lord, I've got something for you. Boom, here it is. Praise God. Sow it in faith. Your tabernacle seed. 
Husbands and wives, talk it over so that you're in agreement, you're in harmony together of what you should do. And then release that seed. Bring it into, bring it into God's soil of, of this ministry. And I believe that Jesus will touch it, multiply it, and do a miracle in your life. I don't say that lightly. I believe God does miracles. Sometimes miracles can be so smooth that you're like, wow, that was so easy. Well, that's because God did that thing. He allowed it just to go like that, to, to smoothly work out. And I think you're going to receive some very smooth, no sweating type miracles. Praise God. Now, if you're going to mail in your tithe and offering, please send it to Stephen Brooks International, P.O. Box 717, Moravian Falls, North Carolina. Our zip code is 28654. If you prefer to bring your tithe and uh, your special tabernacle offering in online, you can do so anytime, day or night, anywhere in the world. Go to the ministry website, stephenbrooks.org. There's a link on the homepage that says give, and you can go to that link, and you can bring your tithe in, and you can bring your tabernacle offering in. Praise the Lord. Glory. Glory to God. Heavenly Father, I pray for those that are sowing their tabernacle seed. I pray that you show them the amount of what they should sow, of what they should give. And I just thank you, Father, it's something that they already have. I thank you. And I thank you, Father God, that this is a dream seed opportunity. This is the opportunity to sow the tabernacle seed is a dream seed opportunity. So, Father, I pray that it would touch that area of their life of a dream, the thing that, that's going to take you to do it. So we just give you the praise, and we thank you that you are going to do it, and you're going to multiply these seeds that are sown. Thank you, Father, and there's going to be miracles. And we thank you for miracles even before the year is out. We give you all of the praise. Thank you. Bless your people, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. And my friends, thank you. Thank you for sowing your, your special seed. We greatly appreciate that. I will be praying over every seed that comes in, whether it's coming in online or whether it's coming in uh, through the mail. I will be praying and laying my hands on every seed. Praise God. This is your tabernacle dream seed. Mm -mm. Woo, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. All right, today... Let's go over the second Kings chapter three. I'm going to call today's message winner take all second Kings chapter three. I was trying to look up some uh, images to grab a picture that I could uh, post on some of our social media uh, accounts where uh, our admin team that plugs those images in could pop something up. And it seemed like every time I typed in winner take all, it took me to a gambling website. <laughs> All the images were about gambling. Well, today we're not going to talk about gambling, but there is an element in spiritual battle where the winner really does take all. You can take every single thing on the table, like those old Western movies when they're, they're gambling, got all these guys paying poker and all this money's on the table. Only, only one person's getting all that money, and that's the winner. And uh, he's going to take every single thing. And we want to talk today about the winner, that's you, taking all that belongs to you in Christ. Glory to God. Mm -mm. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we go into your word today, we ask that your Holy Spirit would bring illumination and unveiling of truth, that our eyes would see it, and that we would act upon it swiftly. In Jesus' name, we give you praise. Amen. And amen. Second Kings chapter 3, and let's drop down to verse 24. Praise God. So when they came to the camp of Israel, Israel rose up and attacked the Moabites, so that they fled before them, and they entered their land, killing the Moabites. Well now, praise the Lord. Look at this. Israel finally has some momentum. Maybe they could uh, get those Moabites back under servitude again. Of course, uh, nobody wants to be a servant. <clears throat> Not even the devil wants to be a servant. <clears throat> the devil wants to rule. So this has to be something that's done through enforcement. And uh, we see that Israel, they're doing good. Got some momentum. All right. Things are going in the right direction. Verse 25. Then they destroyed the cities and each man threw a stone on every good piece of land and filled it. And they stopped up all the springs of water, cut down all the good trees. But they left the stones of Kur, Hereseth intact. However, the slingers surrounded and attacked it. And when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him, he took with him 700 men who drew swords to break through to the king of Edom. But they could not. Now, the king of Moab, these various nations surrounding Israel were tribal type nations. In other words, this is not like Germany, France, or something like that. These are, these are small tribal nations, but they've been there for a long, long time, and they don't have any intention of leaving to them what is their tribal land. And so um, neither do they want to be subjugated where they're taxed and, uh, you know, made to uh, pay a certain amount of money every year or something like that, or, or even worse than that, be placed in a servitude where you've got to, you know, chop all the firewood and dig all the wells and stuff like that. Well, we see that there has been an alliance between three groups, three armies, the king of Israel and also the nation of Judah led by Jehoshaphat. And you have Edom also, and they group together, and they are on the move together, and they're now going against the Moabites. And this is very, very interesting. So the king, he tries to break through to the king of Edom. He thinks, well, I'm going to try to take him out, but they couldn't do it. So things are very, very desperate. It looks like he's going to lose the city. He's going to lose everything. And he thinks it's time for desperate, desperate measures. And I've had quite a few people, even other ministers, ask me, Pastor Stephen, can you share some insight on verse 27? And I'm going to try to do that today. Excuse me while I take a drink of water. I want us to talk about verse 27, but I will not be able to explain this to you from a strictly intellectual perspective alone, we are going to have to get over into the spiritual side of reality in order to find out what's really going on here. Are you ready for it? Here we go. Then he, that would be the king of Moab, he took his eldest son who would have reigned in his place 
and offered him as a burnt offering upon the wall. That means, that means everybody within that city saw what he did. It means all of the armies of Israel, Judah, and Edom, they all saw what this man did, where he literally took his own son that was going to reign as king eventually one day in his place, and he killed him. He sacrificed him to his God before the armies of the true and living God. Mm -mm. Let me read it again. Then he took his eldest son who would have reigned in his place and offered him as a burnt offering upon the wall. And there was great indignation against Israel. Oh, I can imagine there was because the king is the king of Moab is furious because he he's extract. He's had to extract his most precious thing. He has given up his most precious thing to his God because he's wanting deliverance. And he really does believe in his God. So they departed from him and returned to their own land. This is amazing. If Israel could have pushed and broken through and they could have taken uh, the King Misha here, uh, that's his name, Misha of Moab, then they're going to get things back in order, but they don't. And because the king did this, he secured the independence of Moab for 200 years. One act secured independence for 200 years for his nation. Now, are they an, are they an evil nation? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Doing many wicked, diabolical things. And let's take a look at that just for a moment. I want us to understand what took place when the king did this, what is going on in the spirit realm when this took place. And we can turn to some archaeological history that will give us a little insight to the anger, the outrage that the king had against Israel and his loyalty to his God and how we see in a situation like this, it's winner take all. You're either going to win the battle or you're going to lose the battle. And the winner is going to, going to, going to be okay. You're going to have your freedom, but it's all out. Now let me say this before I share some, some further insights about this. Jesus completely defeated Satan at Calvary. When Jesus said it is finished, that meant that the atoning work of redeeming lost mankind back to God had been fully accomplished. So that any person now who calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved and you can be ransomed because Jesus paid the ransom price for your sins when he hung on the cross and shed his blood for us. Praise God. And so Jesus took the keys of death and hell and he ascended up into heaven on the, uh, after three days he went into heaven and all authority has been given to him. And according to uh, the book of Colossians chapter two, verse 15, Jesus stripped all of the powers of the kingdom of darkness and they have no authority over him nor any believer who is in Christ. That's an amazing reality. So the devil has been defeated, but you have to understand 
you'll have people say, well, Pastor Stephen, if, if Jesus defeated the devil, what in the world is going on? It seems like the devil is just doing all kinds of things. It, look, it looks like he's running full steam ahead. He is in the world system, but as a child of God, he, he does not have authority over you. He has authority over everybody that's in his kingdom, everybody that's in the kingdom of darkness who doesn't know Christ as their Savior, but those that belong to Jesus who know their rights, who know they're in authority in, in Christ, the devil cannot push them around. But I will say this, the devil, even when he knows that you have the authority, he's not going to want to leave. He's not going to want to give up something that is a form of territory that he has held for a long time and he'll put up a fight and it doesn't mean that he's not defeated. It doesn't mean that Jesus didn't destroy him at Calvary because the Lord did. And you always operate from that position. You operate from a position of victory. And at the same time, you have to realize the devil's just not going to roll over and play easy, especially when it's something that has great significance and there's a lot on the table, as we would say. Let's think about the poker game. And you've got world-class uh, poker players playing. And there's millions of dollars on the table. And every, all those guys, and maybe some gals, they're, they're gambling to see who's going to win that money. And only one person is going to win it. And that one person is going to take every single bit of it. Mm -mm. So the devil is not going to just say, oh, well, you know, just go ahead and take mine. He will put up a fight, a battle, and you're going to have to use great faith to dislodge him and get him out. Mm -mm. Praise God. Now, let's jump back to our story with Misha, the king of the Moabites. I want to share a little information that it's just beautiful how it confirms the validity of Scripture. So let's go back to the 1800s, and we have what is called the Moabite stone that was discovered in Jordan, okay? So, Misha was ruler over the small kingdom of Moab, and that's east of the Dead Sea. Whenever you go to the Dead Sea, you literally see the mountains of Moab. That's also where Ruth came from, who married Boaz. And he was a contemporary. Misha was a contemporary of King Jehoshaphat. Uh, uh, Jehoshaphat being from the southern kingdom of Judah. And we know that because it's all in 2 Kings chapter 3, that story of the, of the battle between uh, the kings and so forth. So everything that we know about Misha from the Bible is recorded in 2 Kings chapter 3. But we actually know a lot more about him from a record that he left us, and it's called the Misha inscription, or what is known as the Moabite stone. And I'm going to have an image of the Moabite stone popped up right now on the uh, screen that you can see. And there it is right there. It was discovered in Debon, Jordan in 1868 by a French Anglican medical missionary by the name of F.A. Klein. And Mr. Klein was a brilliant man, and uh, he would... He would, you know, go throughout the land of Israel ministering to the sick because he had very, he had the most advanced medical training of his time. And he would go throughout uh, Israel ministering to the sick. But because he became fluent in Arabic, he would also cross the Jordan 
and go over into uh, that part of, of ancient Israel, which uh, at that time in the 1800s, late 1800s, that was mainly wild Bedouin country. And while this area was under the control of the Turks, uh, the Turks could uh, protect you in certain areas, but they're like, hey, now if you cross this river and go over through this Transjordan area, we can't give you any protection. There's nothing but a bunch of bandits and cutthroats out here, and you're on your own. Where he could actually go on his own, Mr. Klein could, and he had great respect amongst the Bedouin because he would actually go and minister his medical skills to them too. And so they liked him and got to know him and things like that. Well, he became aware of this amazing stone. And uh, the, the inscription on it is quite fascinating. Now, both documents, 2 Kings chapter 3 and the Misha inscription, describe the same event, the revolt of Misha. Now, remember, Misha is revolting against the uh, subjugation that they have been under uh, through the southern kingdom, which would be Judah. And uh, Misha made his record of this event on a stone slab or a stone. This is called a stella, and it's three feet high and two feet wide. Unfortunately, the stone was broken into pieces by the local Bedouin before it could be acquired by uh, the uh, archaeological authorities. About two-thirds of the pieces were recovered, and those along with an impression made before the stella was actually eventually des destroyed. Um, but the archaeologists were able to determine what the last lines were, although some of that was broken off and destroyed. And the interesting thing about the Moabite language, and by the way, this, this whole inscription is in the ancient Moabite language, is that it's almost identical to Hebrew. Wow. Praise the Lord. Very, very fascinating. Well, Pastor Stephen, what in the world is, uh, what's on that stone? What does it say? <laughs> well, it basically gives you a description of this battle that took place, and it's in the first person narrative of King Misha telling his side of the story. And um, it's kind of a long inscription, but he talks about how he dedicated this victory right here of winning against these three armies. He dedicates the victory to his god, Chemosh. And after this is over, he actually builds an altar to Chemosh and just, you know, the whole inscription is pretty much a, um, a glorification of Chemosh and the God that the king of Moab worshipped. Now, these things, of course, you can find um, on the Internet. They're fun to read. By the way, that, that, um, that stone is in the Louvre Museum in Paris, France. And when Kelly and I were walking around the museum, I, uh, I don't know, I, I got so busy looking at all of these other ancient uh, artifacts and, you know, looking at the Mona Lisa and all this other stuff, I forgot that that was there. <laughs> and I, and I should have I gone and looked at it because I would love to see it in person, up close. I trust that it's still there. They say it is. Maybe by God's grace, I'll catch it next time. But, my friends, uh, this battle was very intense. And this man, this king of Moab, if I could just be blunt, the Spanish, he is, he is basically a Satan worshiper. When these people worship Chemosh, these people are worshiping, worshiping the most disgusting, vile, demonic, pagan type uh, 
you know, things that they could worship and do. It's just disgusting that the way that they were living their lives. That's why the Lord told the Israelites, you're going to have to destroy all of these nations that are surrounding you because they're completely given over to the devil. They do horrible things. They, they burn their children in fire. They do all forms of uh, perversion and things like that. Things that are so disgusting. I can't even, I can't even say it because it's horrific, but it's very, very bad stuff. And the Lord said, there is no remedy. You're going to have to just take them all out. And so um, we see a little bit of a, of an insight into the great wickedness of what some of these nations could do. And this man burning his own son as a sacrifice, it's a satanic ritual. It is, is the, it's the satanic offering. And I know in some countries, particularly the African countries, uh, the West African countries that are steeped in occultism and witchcraft, this is like, uh, you know, this, this is stuff going back thousands of years. They have deep knowledge of, and theologians read this and they're puzzled because this man makes this sacrifice. And then the, the good armies just turn around and walk off and they're like, what happened? Well, I'll tell you exactly what happened. But first let me share a few examples. I remember one time, this was about 30 years ago. When I was, you know, in my, I was in my 20s, and I was living with some other Christian guys. We're all spirit-filled. We all went to the same church together, and we thought, well, hey, you know, we could, we could save money on rent if we all just get a place and we live there. So um, we had a kind of a larger size house. There's a bunch of us guys uh, all working full-time and going to church, loving the Lord, and really, in, in some sense, having revival. And we were by the Lord's goodness, winning a lot of people to faith in Christ. And we were ministering in really, really rough areas. Well, one day me and this uh, big guy, he was the guy that actually uh, uh, had purchased the home and we were all living there. Uh, and, uh, but he was a real big fella, uh, uh, you know, like six foot, uh, maybe six foot seven, but huge, real big, strong. He and I one day went into a real bad area of, of the town, of the city, where there was a lot of prostitution, a lot of pimps and drug dealers and stuff like that. And we, we started talking to um, one young man out on the street, and he was a, he was a sex slave. And uh, he was used by all the pimps uh, for, you know, forms of, uh, you know, uh, well, all kinds of sick, perverted stuff. And we were able to minister to him, and he accepted Christ into his heart. And he said... He said, I can't go back to where I've been. I, I, you know, I, I have to do where I'm at. I have to do whatever they tell me to do. And they'll, I, you know, they're making money off of me. And, and we said, well, come stay with us for a little bit until we figure out what your next, you know, step in life should be. <laughs> so, you know, he, he came and stayed with us for a little bit and we got him water baptized and he was going to church all the time and we're teaching in the Bible. And, uh, but he's coming out of real wild gross darkness. And, um, the people that he used to work for, they're all demon possessed. And when I say that they're demon possessed, they're fully demonized. And they, they found out that he was living with us. Although we're trying to keep it low profile, they found out that he was living with us. 
And remember, we're we're a house full of, you know, guys and, uh, you know, big guys and there's a lot of strong guys. And so we're all kind of like we can all cover each other's back and we're not really afraid of anything. So um, but they found out uh, the bad guys did the underground type guys did where uh, he was at and they began to circle the neighborhood and then they would pull up in front of the house. They would stop in a car and they would just sit there and look and you, they, they were just saying, we know he's there and we want him back. He's, he's belongs to us. He, he works for us and he's a moneymaker for us. And so one day after this was going on for, you know, days, I decided to go out and talk to him. And so I just walked out, uh, and I wasn't really prayed up because remember, I'm, this, this was, we're going back decades ago. I just walked out. And I thought I'm going to tell these guys, just get out of here. So I walked up and I said, I said, Hey fellas. I said, he's not coming back. He has given his heart to Jesus and he's not coming back. And when I said that, the, the guys in the car looked at me and a force of evil came from them and went over me like a wave of wickedness, such a powerful wave. I would call it a shock wave of evil. They didn't say anything. They, they were just operating in occult power and they drove off real slow. And I realized this is nothing physical. This is, this is all spiritual. These are people that are working for the devil and, uh, and this is a spiritual battle. And so eventually without, uh, too much longer, we moved him on to another place. And as far as I know, he was able to make a clean break and get out of that and restart his life by living for the Lord. But if you've ever felt that before, these waves of evil that you know, that's straight from Satan, then you know what I'm talking about. And what I'm trying to say through that small example, and I've had many other examples of encountering that, that, that evil. I remember one time, uh, my, my brothers and I, we had, we had, we were doing a lot of exploring in the summertime. And there were these islands that were off the, they were off the coast. They were outside of the ship channel. And this is when we lived in South Texas. And my brothers and I, we would sometimes swim out to these islands, but there were some that were further out and they were too far to swim to, uh, like a mile or two miles, some were three miles out. And we thought we'd sure like to get out there and see what's on those islands. And one time we were able to get a hold of a boat. And my older brother got the boat. We were in high school. This was summertime. And my parents were working all day long. So they thought we were just kind of at home, you know, being good, good boys. <laughs> they didn't know. I told my mom this later in life. She was like, oh, I would have fainted if I would have known what you guys were doing. Well, my brother somehow got a boat. Uh, don't ask me where he got it from. He, he said, I'll take it back when we're done. <laughs> I don't know where he got the boat from. So we got the boat and we went out to one of those remote islands and we kind of started walking around on the island. It's pretty big, and there's a lot of uh, mesquite trees that are grown up and stuff like that. Well, this was, we got out on the island, and this was uh, during the daytime, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, full sun. In other words, this is not like 3 o'clock in the morning, some creepy hour of, you know, a dark clouds or anything like that. This is sunshine, uh, no clouds in the sky. And we're on that island. We're the only ones on that island, and there was an old house, haunted house on that island, and, you know, we were just young. We didn't really, not really thinking anything. We're, we're uh, you know, I'm not spirit-filled. My brothers aren't spirit-filled. We're Christians. But uh, we went into that house, and, you know, it's all creepy, you know, and uh, everything kind of dilapidated. It was the only house on that island. 
And we went, we went into the house and the moment we walked through that house, we walked right into this large living room area and there was a satanic pentagram painted in red on the floor and there were candles that had been burnt and there had just been uh, an occultic meeting that had taken place most likely the night before. And that place was saturated with, with evil. The moment we walked in, we, all three of us, uh, and you know, we're not spirit filled tongue talking believers, but all three of us looked at each other and said, this is a bad place. And we got out of there, got off that Island and never went back again. So that was a place where those in witchcraft and Satanism would grow, would go uh, low profile beneath the radar to do the evil things that they do. But if you've ever felt that shock wave of evil, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Let me give you one more example. One time I was preaching in, in Chennai, South India, and I, I had been there already for quite some time doing meetings. I had already done some other meetings, and then I went to record uh, television programs, and I'm recording, you know, like eight or ten programs a day, and I'm doing this every day, day after day, day after day. And when this was all completed, I had one big meeting left to do, which was at a very powerful church, a large church there in Chennai. And so if I can be honest, I went into that meeting a little bit depleted. I had already, I had already poured out so much. I'd done over 30 messages. I'd done some other meetings. I was absolutely exhausted. Now I did go into that meeting really prayed up. I'd prayed pretty much all day long, but I was physically tired and I could sense there was, there was most likely some type of attack that was going to come. Now, the last time before that I had been in India, same church, we had explosive miracles take place and it's like it caught the devil off guard and it was just a tremendous move of God. But this time it's like the devil knew, you know, that I was coming and I'm expecting God to move again. My friends, I tell you this with the honest truth that night when I walked up into the pulpit, the minister to all of those people, I walked up, I opened up my Bible, and the moment I started to preach, Satan came and stood right next to me in that uh, service on the platform. Now, nobody saw him, but I, I knew he was standing right there, and he said to me, you're not going to do good tonight. You're wearing my favorite color. And I, that night I was wearing a black safari. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with the color black. The, you know, don't get superstitious and think you can't wear black or anything like that. But he said, you're not going to do good tonight. You're wearing my color tonight. And uh, he, the, he was throwing harassing things at me. And it, you, you talking about like preaching against like a bronze wall. I was preaching and there was an anointing, but it's just like the enemy was fighting that with every single thing he had. And finally, after about an hour of just pouring every ounce of energy and strength I had into that service, because there's a battle going on spiritually that's invisible that people can't see. Finally, there was a breakthrough and the Holy Spirit began to move and the devil obviously had to leave because he lost again. And I ended up praying for every single person. There's thousands of people. I put my hand on every single person. And when it was over, I was now depleted more than I'd ever been depleted ever in my ministry 
of like pouring out. And when I was done, I was exhausted. There wasn't one ounce of anything left in the tank as far as anointing the minister. And the pastor jumped up. He was so excited. He said, this is so powerful what God is doing tonight. He said, I want everybody to line back up again. And Brother Stephen's going to pray for you again. I mean, he was just like, he was like a kid in the candy store. And I couldn't believe it when he said that. I just took, I just took a few steps, walked over to a friend and because I had the microphone, I gave it to the, a, a, a friend of mine who lives there in the city, a very powerful minister who happened to be there that night. I said, here, take it. <laughs> I said, I'm done. <laughs> and he went to work. Praise God. Remember, you never know when the mic's going to get passed to you. Well, I'm just showing up just to enjoy. Uh, you never know how much of enjoyment it's going to be. You might actually end up being there, up there doing the thing. Praise God. But uh, my goodness, the devil, he can come and uh, it's like a wave of evil. And I've encountered him literally one on one before. And I've had other situations where you know who his agents are. You don't have to ask them. You just know it, it's what it's coming off of them. Now, the glory is coming off of you. The anointing is coming off of you. Sometimes the enemy can make a strong push to take a hold of what he wants to take a hold of and not be dislodged from it. And that's what happened here. And the shock, the shock wave of evil that was released through the shedding of blood. And that's why in witchcraft often, and these uh, satanic rituals, so often there is a shedding of blood. They're, they're wanting evil power. They're wanting to shed innocent blood so that the devil will give them uh, uh, powers they can use in the earth. And it says they, the Israelites, they departed from him and returned to their own land. I'll tell you what happened. They got hit with that shockwave of evil that came from that occultic sacrifice. And um, it, was, it was a fierce battle. Well, Pastor Stephen, what should they have done? Well, they should have stood their ground and they should have said, now we're going to have to get the word of the Lord to find out what to do here because this king has thrown down the gauntlet. And if we don't do something to counter that, he's going to win. Woo! See, there are some things that the devil knows are very, very important. And he'll, he'll fight you so hard over it. Why? Because there's a lot baked into it. You know, I find it amazing what the devil has done to the millennials, the young people of this generation. It's like he's just been stealing them left and right. I read just the other day that a very famous minister in America that works tirelessly day and night to minister the gospel, he has five children. They're grown up. They're millennials. All five of them have now rejected Christ and now are basically full-blown atheist socialist. They have been completely stolen by the devil. And don't think he's going to try to uh, give that up easily. There'd have to be a battle. To get them back. I talked recently to one of the most well-known ministers in America. And I said, hey, uh, how's your granddaughter doing? Because his granddaughter had always been very, very special to him. And still is. And this great man of God said, oh, Stephen. He said, there came a time for my granddaughter to finish high school and go off to college. And I volunteered to pay for four years of the finest education that she could receive from the best university in America. 
and I paid for it. And she went off for four years and she came back a flaming God hating liberal. She's on fire with hatred for God. Wow. I mean, this is a great man of God. And he's like, he's like, I paid for her indoctrination of evil. And he's like the devil, look what the devil has done. So the devil has, he's thrown down and he's got these kids and he's got them. He's got them. Well, now pastor Stephen, God loves them and they'll come back to the Lord. Well, you, there'd better be an equal throwdown. In other words, there's going to have to be something that will jolt that shockwave of evil and push it back and blast through it with the mighty glory of God. Well, yes, Pastor Stephen, the glory is coming. Yes, but you're going to have to move with this. You're going to have to move this with the, these battles are extremely powerful because we are dealing. I'm just going to be honest. We are dealing with a society in America that has gone completely into paganism. You're either a Christian who is on fire for God, completely committed to God, or you're, you're basically a pagan where anything goes. Anything goes. And we have a lot of pagans wearing suit and ties that stand in government that, that, that may look all polished and nice. They're 100% pagans. They love killing babies. They love to murder innocent children that are the unborn. They will embrace any sexual ideology that doesn't matter to them. You can, you can marry a pizza box and they're willing to officiate the ceremony. They have no moral code or conduct. They'll lie. They'll cheat. They'll swindle they'll steal they'll do all of they don't care as long as they don't get caught but anything goes as long as they stay in power and they can do their stuff they're complete pagans well pastor Stephen, some of them go to church yeah they're pagans that go to church doesn't mean anything to them doesn't mean anything to them there's no spiritual life there at all wow so this is what we're dealing with so in order to push back against that it has to be spiritual power that's stronger Yes, Pastor Stephen, Jesus has conquered the devil. Yes, he has 100%. But you're going to have to enforce that. You're going to have to bring the heat. Praise the Lord. Or there will be some treasures. The devil, he's going to lock them up. And he, he, he's like, these are my trophies. These children. So, uh, watch this. Especially preachers, kids. These children I've got, I've, I have deceived them. I've got them locked up. And Little bitty prayers aren't going to break them loose. Mm -mm. Wow. This is strong deception that we're dealing against. We are dealing against Misha, the king of Moab, who is thrown down, who has shed blood, who has worked occultic, satanic ritual power. And you have to come in there with something that will blast that filth out of there. Praise God. Well, Pastor Stephen, what were they supposed to have done? I don't know, but the first thing I would have done is I just said, get Elisha over here immediately. We have got to get the man of God in here. We've got a serious situation on hand. That king is not, that king of Moab is not getting away with this. He just killed his own son. He just sealed his doom. He's not going to defeat us. Yeah, we felt the shockwave of evil. All of us did. We're not giving up. We're standing our ground. And we're going to plow through this. Get the prophet on here. Let's, and we're going to have to find out what God wants from us. See, God hate it, this, this wickedness that these other nations were doing. Praise God. And there was a solution. I don't know what it would have been, 
But if they would have gotten the prophet there, and they would have gotten uh, 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 him to bring forth the word of the Lord, there would have been a solution, just like there was later in 2 Kings chapter 13, when there's another national threat coming against Israel. 2 Kings 13, verse 14. Let me grab a drink of water. Verse 14. Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, O my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. Now remember, these are not just like, we're not just doing drama stuff so that, you know, we can get an Instagram picture of the king, you know, hitting some arrows on the ground. No, this, you're getting into real spiritual stuff here. You're getting into the power zone here. There's, there's evil power, but there's the power of God, which is far greater. But you have to get into the spirit, and you have to walk in that power and demonstrate it. Take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it, and Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. Then he said, take the arrows. So he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. My friends, why would you settle for partial victory? Well, now we, we've had some good times, and uh, we did have Moab in subjugation for a long time. I guess, you know, they put up a good battle. We'll just let them go ahead and take it. What, no, why are we tolerating this when you don't have to? When something is your legal biblical right, and that is your inheritance, and you can take it, why would you just sit back and just let the enemy take what rightfully belongs to you? Mm -mm. Hallelujah. Or souls that God says, that's your assignment. That's your assignment. Why just let them go off? Well, well, I guess they'll come back to the Lord. What if they don't? What if we don't step in there as intercessors and stand in the gap and do something about it? Mm -mm. Praise God. Well, that's what we're going to do. Take the arrow. So he took them and he said to the, and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him. And said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Partial victory. Syria is coming back. They're gonna, well, at least not, they're not coming back in my lifetime. Well, that's kind of selfish, isn't it? This is not just about us. We're saved. We're on our way to heaven. And we're good to go. But we're going to bring as many as we can, especially those that are within our target range. Praise God. Mm -mm. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We have to get, get, get in the spirit, get into the prophetic act. Praise God. You know, so sometimes the Holy Spirit will come upon you and he wants you to shout. Well, now what in the girl, well, well, Pastor Stephen, what in the world good would that do? It's, it's not about doing something in the natural. It's doing something in the spiritual. There's times the Holy Spirit wants you to blow a shofar. Now, how, how Pastor Stephen is blowing on a ram's horn going to do anything? It's a spiritual prophetic thing. It's doing something in the spirit. It's breaking something in the spirit. 
These are spiritual battles. These are spiritual battles. I've had times where the Holy Spirit is, is on me, and it, uh, it's frightful. It, it's frightful to the enemy, and even those that are not saved who don't know anything about it, who are somehow just caught in the middle, they come by me, and they know there's something on me. They'll back up, or they'll look, they'll look at me with a, like, a look like, what is that? Well, first of all, it's the glory. Second of all, it's my angel going with me, and we're here. We're here to do business. Mm-mm. There were quite a few times that after Catherine Kuhlman was finished ministering at a large conference, they would, they would often take her out the back. You can't take her out the front because everybody's going to, uh, you know, try to, you know, talk to her and stuff like that. So they would take her out the back uh, and get her back to the hotel. And oftentimes the only, the only way out was through the kitchen area, uh, like a commercial kitchen and so oftentimes they would have to take her right after the meetings out and they would go through a commercial kitchen and then get her outside, get her to the hotel. And so often when they were taking her right out of that meeting, right to the kitchen, the moment she'd walk into the kitchen, every single person in there would fall out under the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, those must have all been a bunch of Pentecostal cooks. No, none of them were. They're all unbelievers. And they're, none of them know God, and they're not falling out so they can be seen on, you know, uh, have their picture taken. No, no, no. They don't even know she's there. She just walks in, and boom, that glory fills that whole place. And they fall out. That's happened quite a few times for her. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I had a problem in one city I used to live. Of, uh, there was a big mall. Uh, in the mall, the, you know, they were trying to figure out how to solve this problem. Every now and then there would be this lady. She lived out in the country. She's a country woman, but she was a woman of prayer. And sometimes she would do these 40-day fast. <laughs> and after she would come off the fast, the Holy Spirit would instruct her, go walk through the mall and pray. And when she would walk through the mall, everybody would just start falling out. Sinners all over just falling out. And, the, 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 and the, the mall security and the, you know, people that worked at the mall were like, you know, we need to keep the lady out of the mall. But she would show up in the spirit and just start walking. And people start falling out all over the place. She's in the power. She's in the anointing. Let me, tr let, let me tell you, if you're bound and you have addictions or you're under total lockdown by Satan because of that shockwave of evil that captured you and paralyzed you and then he enslaved you, you come across that anointing, boom, chains start breaking. And you go free. You go free, praise the Lord. Woo, praise God. Mm -mm. These things are very, very uh, important to understand in kingdom dynamics. Things that you cannot see with your natural eye, but it's going on in the spirit realm. The push, the push. Praise God. Hallelujah. I have a pastor friend in Berlin, Germany, that when Germany was divided, uh, East Germany, West Germany, and you had communism and all of the horrors that it brought in Eastern Germany. Then you had the wall, the Berlin wall. Then on the other side, you had what you would call more like a, a free state. This pastor said, he said, uh, he said, Pastor Stephen, he said, me and all the other pastors that had networked together, we all knew not only that the wall was going to come down, we actually knew the day it was going to fall. I said, how'd you know? He said, we all did a 40-day fast together. No food, nothing but water for 40 days. We all joined together, all of us pastors, and we fasted and prayed for that stupid wall to come down and for communism to collapse. And the Holy Spirit told us 
at the end of the fast that the wall will come down, and this is the day it will come down on. Woo! Glory to God. And I've got a piece of the wall or right back over in my office. I have a piece of the, the Berlin Wall, which is no longer there. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. That's all spiritual. That's these wicked powers of godless atheism that affects those in that communistic regime to just do this foolish stuff that does nothing but destroy human lives. And that wicked wave of power got blasted with a greater force. Praise the Lord. Mm, and it snapped. Woo! Praise God. Amen. So we're touching the mighty anointing of the Holy Spirit and God's power operating and working in our lives. Very quickly, let's go over to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And the violent take it how? By force. What is the force? It is the force of faith. Yes, Pastor Stephen, we must have faith. Yes, but to generate that mighty faith that, that just blasts in there and overpowers the strong man, where you bind the strong man and you plunder his goods, <laughs> that takes a commitment to, to out-sacrifice the devil, what the devil has done. Woo, praise the Lord. It's not about works. This is not about trying to outwork the devil, but when you have Satanists that are worshiping their God, when you have Misha who is worshiping Chemosh, who's telling his God Chemosh, he's telling Satan, I'm willing to sacrifice my own son and to kill him if you'll get me out of this and keep my kingdom intact, then I'm willing to do this for you. And so he did it. And there was release of repulsive evil power that whoom, just hit the armies of Israel. And the men were like, well, you know what? This has just knocked the wind out of us. And, you know, so we're calling this off and we're hidden back. So there has to be something that will counteract that through prayer, perhaps also through fasting and also through sacrificial giving only as the Holy Spirit would lead you, though. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Mm -mm. Sometimes you find out you've got to just throw it all. You, it's, like, um, it's like Israel when they were having, you know, the, uh, all the problems with all the, uh, the rockets coming in to Israel from uh, Hamas and coming in from the Gaza area. And, uh, you know, it got to a point where the prime minister said, look, we're taking the gloves off now. You want to just fight out and just get, get real dirty fight? Okay, that's what we're going to do. So that's what it's come to. And that, sometimes you find that in the spirit realm where you're really endeavoring to see God break through in a certain area. Perhaps save those that would be classified as unsavable, but God can get them. But there, there is a price of prayer, of pressing through. Praise God. I think that's something that Dr. Cho understood well in the church in Seoul, South Korea. And bless his, bless his heart, he's in heaven now. Glory to God. He just passed away a few days ago. And the Lord used him to raise up the biggest church in, in the world. His church had one, one time had over 800,000 members, really had over a million members because he gave so many other church members away to other churches because they were trying to 
facilitate all the growth, but a great man of God. But he said, he said the Western church, particularly the American church, does not understand that if you want to reach those that are enslaved by the devil, you're going to have to first bind the strong man. And if you bind him, then you can go in and plunder his goods. But he said, from what I see, the Western church does not know how to bind and release. Because these are spiritual principles. Praise God. But my friends, we are beginning to operate in these things. And I believe also we can see some things happen with our nation where there's even a turning in our nation. Let me share one more scripture with you. This is Second uh, Chronicles chapter 7. Second Chronicles 7. And of course, verse 14 is a classic verse that we quote in uh, times of revival and stuff like that when we're praying for revival. But I want to show you something uh, that I, I hope will give a little more insight into releasing that power. Second Chronicles chapter 7, let's look at verse 12. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him. Now what, it, what the Lord is going to do is he's going to give instructions to Solomon whenever there's trouble. Okay. God will always give you the instruction whenever there's trouble. God has nothing planned for you but victory, 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 that you and your whole household might be saved. It's not God's will for you or any of your family members or loved ones to perish and go to hell. God wants all of you to make heaven. Praise the Lord. And he doesn't want you to have any type of defeat in any area of your life. He will always give an instruction. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locust to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. In other words, when Satan has access, when he's getting in and something's not right because he's winning. Verse 14, if my people, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now the Lord will hear and he will forgive and he will heal. He will deliver. But I think there's something very interesting here that that is very easy to skip over. Look at verse 14 again. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. And seek my face. I think in America, we have put the focus on pray and seek God's face, but we have missed that statement where the Lord said that we need to humble ourselves. If my people who are called by my name will humble myself. Well, I, we don't need to do that, Pastor Stephen. We just need to pray. No, we need to humble ourselves. We need to humble ourselves. That's very, very critical in order for the Lord to answer the prayer. Whoo, praise God. There are some prayers that God will answer so quick. It can shock you how fast he'll answer them. And sometimes you're left wondering, I wonder why God answered that prayer so fast and other prayers he hasn't answered and years have gone by. A lot of it has to do when it's prayed out of a position of great humility. And yes, we need to pray and we need to intercede, but we need to do all of it from a position of 
humbling ourselves, where we go before the Lord and we humble ourselves. That's, that's something that's about, in, that about intercess, intercession that's fascinating because when you really intercede for somebody, you're actually standing in the gap for them. And the punishment that they deserve, you step in their place and you plead to God on behalf of them and you humble yourself almost in a sense like you're taking their mistakes and mess ups on yourself. And sometimes you can actually feel it. You can even feel like you're not right with God. You can feel like you're lost. You can feel like the glory is gone. And that's because the Holy Spirit is allowing you to have a measure of identification with what that person is going through that you are praying for. Well, now, uh, Pastor Stephen, we don't need to be so zealous. Certainly God will work it all out. Oh, God worked it all out at Calvary, and he has given his authority to us, but we have to delegate it, and we have to use the force of faith, or else the devil will keep some of his most prized trophies locked up, just like Misha did. He's not willing to quit. The devil sometimes can be a real fighter. And so you're going to have to push, and you're going to have to make a sacrifice, and push, and pray, and intercede, and walk in the instruction that God gives you. And if you do that, you could even overthrow Misha, even though he maybe has just made a sacrifice of his own son. You can still overcome that through the wisdom and the power of God when you walk out that instruction of what it is that God would have you do. And I would say also it comes along this line of humble yourself because in times like that you don't know what to do. You see what the enemy has done and the fortress looks so strong and you have to humble yourself and say, God, there's no way we can get that person free. They're under such deception. They've been brainwashed. Lord God, this is going to take your power. We humble ourselves. You're our only hope. Now you're on the right path. Now you're on the right path. Praise God. God's going to do some great things in your life. I believe before the year is out, that as you really go before the Lord, you're going to see the turnaround. You're going to see the victory. You're going, to, you're going to receive the instruction of what it is that you're to do to overthrow the Moabites and get rid of murderous Misha and get that whole system out of here. Mm-hmm. Where the captives go free. Praise the Lord. Let's lift our hands. Heavenly Father, we thank you that there are those that are watching. They have not understood these things. They've mocked the prophet's instruction to shoot an arrow or to grab arrows and strike the ground. They thought all that silly and they have not understood the prophetic significance of the spiritual reality that's all around us. So father, we just thank you. We refuse to limit this battle to what we know through natural perception by what we also see or hear. But father, we endeavor to wage war in the spirit knowing that Christ has already won the battle, but we must enforce the devil's defeat. Thank you, Father. Let there be release of the battle plan. This year is going to end on great heights because we refuse to accept a partial victory or we, we, we refuse especially to accept defeat. Thank you, Father God. We give you praise. We give you glory. Father, before this year is out, let there be a transfer from the trophy case of Satan of great assets of souls over into your trophy case. We give you all of the praise. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' great name. 
Amen. Amen. You know, when I went into the spirit realm and I had that experience with the Lord regarding mantles that was in the second heaven, and I was taken there by the Holy Spirit in the spirit realm, and I saw demons, I saw evil spirits, and they were, they were mean. They were big, bad, ugly, and they had some nasty-looking weapons. But I also saw the power of God, and through the wisdom of God, I was able to go into that enemy camp and take what rightfully belonged to me. But I'm telling you, that was an enemy camp, and that is a very dangerous realm, and you can only go into it in the spirit, and um, these forces of evil are real. But the force of God is far greater. We must access the power of God. We must get into the spirit and win great victories. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I see the blood of Jesus covering you. I see that you are equipped for battle and you must go as a soldier of Christ. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You must wage the good warfare. Stay in faith and pray. And walk in the instructions of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. Glory. 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 This whole week I've been just grieved in my spirit. I have heard so many reports of ministers, children, raised in the house of God, raised in the ways of God, and leave home and go off. And just within a few years, either through maybe a university or maybe just uh, through all the stuff that's out there, they are completely uh, completely uh, just captured by the enemy. We cannot let these things rest and, and remain like this. Praise God. And I know there's other forms of captivity as well, but you can. Oh, I know another prophetess who was taken in the spirit one time, and I talked with her actually about this, this incredible encounter she had with the Lord, where she was taken literally to a trophy room uh, in the kingdom of darkness in the, in the second heaven. She was she was taken there. There was a palace it was made out of look like black granite and there were dragons uh, and evil spirits everywhere. And she was taken by the Lord and she was allowed to retrieve a sacred item of the Lord's that had been captured by the enemy and stolen from the church. And she was able to go in there by the power of the spirit and take it and get out safely and restore it back to the body of Christ. Praise God. Praise God. It's time to go into the enemy's camp and take what rightfully belongs to us and to liberate those that are in bondage. Praise God. Father, we thank you. We thank you. Let revelation flow. Let instructions come. We give you all the praise in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. Woo. Praise the Lord. It's going to be like spiritual glory bombs going off. And there will be repercussions where those sitting in drug houses or places of prostitution or sex trafficking, they're going to get hit with that glory thing that'll, that, that shock wave of glory. And it'll go right over them. And it'll just blow the smoke off their head. I'm talking about the spiritual smoke of deception and lies. And they're like, I've been living in absolute filth and I'm getting out of here. And they'll walk out completely free and the Holy Spirit will show them exactly what they're supposed to do. They'll get saved, get right with God, and they'll never go back to the evil again. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we give you praise. Amen in Jesus' name. If you're watching today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're living in a very, very dangerous world. 
And also you're living in a world system that is under the influence and dominion and control of the devil himself. Today, switch allegiance and leave the kingdom of light and come, excuse me, leave the kingdom of darkness and come into the kingdom of God's son, Jesus, the kingdom of light. If you would like to get your heart right with God, don't wait another moment. Pray this prayer right now. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me from my sins. I repent and turn from all evil, and I give my life to you. Jesus, write my name in your book of life. Thank you for saving me. I take you as my Lord and Savior now. In your name I pray. Amen and amen. Welcome to the family of God. Woo, praise the Lord, you're delivered and set free. Now walk with the Lord, and the Lord's going to strengthen you to live for Him. Let's take Holy Communion together. Grab some unleavened bread and some grape juice, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the bread and the juice. We bless it. We set it apart as holy through this prayer. We thank You, Father, this is now the, the flesh and the blood of Jesus. And Father, as we receive the body of the Lord, we thank you that all these false gods, all of these evil spirits, one day even Satan himself, they're all going to be thrown into the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone and sulfur. And they'll be there for all eternity. The Antichrist, the false prophet, the beast, Satan, all of them gone forever, cast into the eternal lake of fire. So Father, we thank you that Christ has purchased our victory and that we're going to see, we're going to see the church move into the feast of tabernacles, the great end gathering of souls. Father, we give you praise, the great end time harvest. Thank you, Father God. You're going to save many. You're going to deliver many. Let us be anointed for battle. Thank you, Father. Let us understand the prophetic shout even the prophetic stomp. Thank you, Father God. Mm -mm. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's receive the Lord's body. Years back, this was, this was maybe 2003. I was in Las Vegas in a Kim Clement meeting, and I had a, a pastor friend. And uh, let me see, this, this actual event took place a little bit before that, a few years before that. And so the, the pastor friend of mine, he and some of his church members, they had all done a 40-day fast, no food, nothing but water for 40 days. The pastor said, just sitting in the meeting, sitting on the chair, he said, I had nothing on my rear end, just my bones. He said, I could feel every bone <laughs> touching the chair. He lost so much weight. And he was a big, big, huge, strong man. And uh, he, said, he said that before they had come to the meeting, the Lord was really dealing with their son, their teenage son, and the son was stomping, and he was like stomping in the spirit and said, Dad, the Holy Spirit just wanted me to stomp and make these prophetic declarations. Well, when they went into the meeting with Kim Clement and, you know, thousands of people in the meeting, the son stood before Kim Clement, the prophet, and Kim Clement says, the Lord says that you have been doing the prophetic stomp. Now, I want you to stomp your feet again. Right now in the spirit, there's going to be deliverance worked in your life. And he was stomping. And uh, I'm, I'm just telling you, my friends, whether it's striking arrows to the ground or shooting a bow or stomping your feet or a shout. And, and the devil hates when you shout in faith because there's, there's power released in that. And sometimes with a punch, boom, like that in the spirit. 
oh, Pastor Stephen, you're just doing that in the flesh. Well, yeah, you're in your, you're in your body in the flesh, but it's, it's making an impact in the spirit when you're in the anointing. Glory to God. And if one can put a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. You get, uh, you get others together and you're in the spirit and there's that shout or the stomp. Oh, chains start coming off of people. Praise God. The chains fall off. Praise the Lord. This is very, very exciting. Mm. Praise the Lord. Let's take the blood of Christ. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. It's mighty cleansing power. Father, we thank you that you're going to save people in the darkest hell holes that are enslaved to the worst forms of bondage. You're going to save them. Hallelujah. We give you praise. We give you praise. Lord, take the trophies. We thank you, Lord. You want trophies. Hallelujah. We give you all of the praise. Thank you, Father God. Many will travel in the spirit. They'll be in prayer and they'll be taken by your spirit. Some to other countries, some to other states or some to places, but uh, even maybe close by, but they will, they will be able to minister in the spirit to those that are enslaved by dark chains and they will deliver them in the name of the Lord. And then they will be taken back by the spirit. Just like Philip was translated after he ministered to the Ethiopian eunuch. Father, we give you praise. We thank you that many are going to move in the spirit on these heavenly assignments. We thank you for the blood of Jesus and his beautiful cleansing power in Jesus name. Amen. Let's receive praise God. The Holy spirit is going to help you to deliver the knockout punch that knocks out King of Misha, knocks him off that wall and he's done. He's finished. Doesn't matter what he did. Doesn't matter what kind of an agreement he had with the devil. The blood of Jesus and the name of Jesus has authority over all of that. And the Holy Spirit's going to give you the knockout punch and the power to take him out. Praise God. To enforce the victory that Jesus won for you at Calvary. Heavenly Father, I pray you bless your people. Let them be strengthened. Thank you, Father God. I see the angels traveling with them, journeying with them, even warring angels at times. We give you all the praise. Thank you, Father. There's always a way for victory in you. Show your people the next step that they must take. We thank you that this year will end in great victory. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. My friends, thank, thank you for watching today. Thank you also for sowing your special Tabernacle dream seed. Woo! Glory to God. I'll be praying over it as it comes in. God bless you. Bye bye.